It's an ancient Hindu story told of a number of men who were born blind who happened upon an elephant one day. Wanting to figure out what an elephant is like, one man touched the elephant's leg and said, Oh, I see, an elephant is like a pillar. Another grabbed the tail and said, No, an elephant is like a rope. And another grabbed the trunk and said, An elephant is like a tree branch. And on it went until a wise man overheard their conversation and said, You men are all partly right and partly wrong because you have all only grasped part of the truth. The reality of an elephant is bigger still. The story's told about spiritual truth, that of the religions in the world, some have grasped this truth and others that one, but they're all connected to the larger transcendent reality to which they all aspire. Is that true? Are all religions the same? When I was about seven or eight years old, uh, one of my best friends in the world was a kid named Amir. Uh, Amir's family had immigrated uh, to Canada from the former Yugoslav Republic, and Amir and his family um, were Muslims. I remember one day uh, in recess at school, Amir and I were having this conversation, and I, you know, who knows why these moments stick in our brains. I think God let me remember this just so I could have a sermon illustration. But I remember talking to Amir on the playground, and we were kind of comparing our respective religious traditions, kind of with the sense of whether or not we could still be friends, right? So we, you know, do you believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God. Do you believe that there's one God? Yeah, I believe that there's one God. Do you believe in Jesus? And Amir said, yeah, I believe in Jesus because Muslims believe in Jesus as a prophet. I said, well, do you uh, read the Bible? Well, I read the Quran. Well, do you go to church? Well, we go to mosque. And we kind of went back and forth. We were checking all the religious boxes. And, and at the end of the day, at seven or eight years old, with all of our worldly wisdom about religious tradition, we decided that Christianity and Islam were far more similar than they were different. So we could, we could still be friends. <laughs> Fast forward, you know, 35 or 40 years Fast forward through Al-Qaeda and ISIS, fast forward past Quebec, you know, mosque shootings and so on. And the sense in the world right now, I don't think is that shared sense that Christianity and Islam are basically the same. And, you know, we should all just be friends. At least that's, that doesn't seem to be the sense in the world. It's much more like opposing camps and we're right and good and they're wrong and bad and somehow this needs to get fixed. And it's, it's funny, those two stories, I think, generally represent people's attitudes towards other belief systems. There is either a sense, you know, that all religions are basically the same and why can't we all just get along? And at the other end of the spectrum, there is a sense there are people who feel more like, well, no, we're right and they're wrong and we could all get along if everyone would just get on board with us. And the question that we're talking about this morning is kind of the question that hangs in the middle. And that's the question, are all religions the same? 
And so this morning, that's the question we want to dig into. And I want to dig into that question using the elephant parable as sort of a way to raise the relevant issues that are at work. Because I think in some ways, this, the parable of the elephant and the blind man gets some things exactly right and helps us kind of see things for what they are. For example, I think one thing the parable gets exactly right in a really helpful way is to distinguish between the truth of the elephant and the truths of what each of the blind men discover for themselves. The parable kind of reminds us that regardless of what each man had learned on his own, that the the whole truth of the elephant is something much larger still. And it's a helpful reminder that when it comes to spiritual truth, whatever it is that people have grasped, either alone or in communities, is always only ever just a subset of the spiritual truth that is in reality, that exists. The truth about God or the transcendent or ultimate reality or whatever language you want to use is bigger than what any or all of us understand. And so religion, in my understanding, just to get to the bottom of what question we're asking, religion, from my perspective, is the human side of the equation of what it means to figure out spiritual truth. Religion, at the end of the day, is a communal, embodied attempt to understand and live spiritual truth in the world. It seeks to kind of address and answer the major questions that all of us ask in life, which is why religion is a universal experience. Even though not everyone in the world is religious, religion is a universal experience because everyone in the world ultimately asks the same questions, even though only some choose to deal with them religiously. The questions of who, who am I? What, what is this? And what am I supposed to do with it? What is the world Right? What is life in this world supposed to mean? Um, what's the problem with the world? Why is the world the way that it is? What's the solution to the problem? Um, how is that solution going? These are like the, the fundamental core questions that drive the human project of trying to figure out how to live life successfully in community with each other. And that's what religion is. What religion is, is when a community comes together around a certain set of, of supposed answers and they begin to, that kind of, the, those answers sort of manifest themselves in the community in the form of like sacred writings, um, which become the condensed version of the spiritual truth the way we understand it. In sacred practices like getting together for worship on a Sunday morning and all sorts of things. As, as, the, as these, these spiritual practices manifest themselves in the community to the degree that they're helpful, they become institutionalized. They become a part of the institutional religion, organized religion. And, and then once the organized religion exists, then, it be, then the organized religion begins to shape the people who participate in it and back and forth it goes. But religion is the human endeavor in community to understand spirituality, to understand and embody it in the world. And since it's a common human endeavor, a universal human endeavor, 
you would assume that at some level, since all people are asking the same questions, that all people everywhere are going to tap into, at least some of the time, some of the same kinds of answers. And it is true when people say, well, all religions are basically the same. What I hear them to say most often is that religions at their core essentially teach the same thing. Um, I remember having lunch with the former uh, imam in St. Catharines. And uh, we sat over the, over the lunch table and uh, Imam Mustafa said to me, he said, well, you know, your religion and my religion, at the end of the day, the kernel at the center is the same, that we just, we love, need to love God and love each other. That's the whole thing. And that is true. In, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, this is a, a teaching of Jesus. It says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. This is a, a central teaching. This is the core Christian ethic of what it means to be in relationship with other people. Well, it turns out that this teaching is shared in religions around the world. In fact, I'll put a graphic up on the screen surrounding this. In Christianity, we call this the golden rule. Let's put this graphic up on the screen. Now, this graphic uh, references... Uh, 13 different religious traditions in the world. Hinduism, Buddhism, Confucianism, Taoism, Sikhism, Unitarianism, uh, indigenous spirituality, Zoroastrianism, Jainism, Judaism, Islam, Baha'i, uh, Unitarianism, and, and Christianity. And what you can see, I mean, if you can read this screen, what you can see is that every single one of those religious traditions essentially has their own version of the golden rule, which basically says... That the best way to relate to human beings is to do to other people what you would want them to do to you and to not do to anybody else what you wouldn't want them to do to you. That at the end of the day, there is truth to the fact that nearly every major religious tradition in the world shares that core truth, that core conviction. We're all kind of in the parable of the elephant. We're all touching the elephant at that moment. The other thing that the parable of the elephant demonstrates is that different religious traditions end up emphasizing or understanding different parts of the truth better than other parts of the traditions, right? Um, that some traditions grab a truth that other traditions miss. So, you know, for example, the, the core question, what's the problem with the world in Buddhism? The answer for Buddhists is that there is suffering in life all the time. And the solution is that through the eightfold path, you transcend suffering by learning to live in detachment with the world. Well, that is a truth that I think the Western culture and Western Christianity even could learn to embrace from Buddhism. Because Western culture and Christianity is so often geared towards consumerism, which lives for attachment, not detachment from the things of the world. And because of that, we're always surprised when suffering happens and why does this happen to me? And we, we don't respond to suffering very maturely often because we're unprepared for it. Well, the Buddhist says, well, life is suffering. Be prepared for it. And the more attached you are to things in this world, the harder it's going to be. There's truth there that I think we need to understand. If you look at the um, Muslim tradition, a Muslim life of devotion is this incredibly devout thing. Prayer five times a day, fasting in the month of Ramadan, uh, pilgrimage to places where you can go and meet God, being generous with the poor and so on. Like, 
for a Western culture and a Western Christianity that so often is built around the value of convenience, right? Well, I won't set an alarm, but I'll go to church if I wake up in time and there's no hockey tournament and no golf on TV and, you know, whatever the case may be. If it's convenient, I'll engage. I think we have a lot to learn from the devotion of Muslim to their particular religious tradition. So when I say at some level, the religions are the same. This is what I mean. That the religions, each of the religions tap into some version of spiritual truth. And to be perfectly honest, that's exactly what the Bible would prompt us to expect. In Acts chapter 17, there's a story about uh, the Apostle Paul, one of the, the first great missionaries of the early church. It tells the story of a time when Paul found himself in the city of Athens, surrounded by a diverse array of religious traditions. In verse 16, it says this, while Paul was waiting for his friends in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. The full city was full of religious traditions. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be here. Now, you, you need to understand that in the ancient world, paganism was the predominant religion. And paganism meant that there were gods and goddesses everywhere, Right? Uh, the table's a God, the Bible's a God, the river's a God, the tree is a God, the rock is a God, sex is a God, my ancestors are gods, uh, my business is a God, war is a God, the state is a God. And all these gods and goddesses needed to be worshipped in exactly the right way, in their temple, at their altar, with the right sacrifice and the right incantation at the right time, with the moon in the right phase and all. There was in, and you go and you worship all of the gods in order that they would bless your life instead of curse so that your life would go better. Well, the apostle Paul goes to the city of Athens. He finds himself surrounded by a diverse array of religious traditions. And he immediately, what does he do? He immediately engages in conversation about the various religious traditions. Actually, down in verse 22, it tells us about the conversation. It says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. It's interesting, Paul immediately steps right into the ongoing conversation about spiritual truth that's going on in the city. He doesn't, he, he actually affirms the religiosity of the people in Athens. He affirms them for their spiritual fervor, their intensity. In fact, he says, you guys are so intense about worship, you even worship things you don't understand, right? This altar to an unknown God. At some point, somebody had set up an altar to say, hey, maybe we missed a God somewhere in the process. And lest we be punished for not worshiping this God, let's just create an altar to a God that we'll just proclaim. And we don't even know, but if you're out there, we want to worship you too so that you will, you know, treat us favorably instead of unfavorably and so on. And Paul says, listen, he says, I admire your spirituality and you're so intense. You even have this altar of the unknown God. And he says, that is the very thing I want to proclaim to you. And he goes on to affirm 
the truth of the Athenian religious traditions that he had seen. In verse 26, this is what he says. From one person, God made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. And God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from every one of us. Paul says, listen, here's how it works. God created the world and every race of human beings are all connected together in our common humanity. And God in his wisdom has decided for all of human history, the times in human history and the places around the globe that every person and every people group and every culture and every community would be formed and founded And the reason he picked the time and the place for every person and every people group is specifically so that right where you are at your moment in human history, you would seek after God and maybe even reach out for him and find him. It's a remarkable thing for Paul to affirm. That all people everywhere, no matter when in human history, no matter where in the globe, all people everywhere are positioned where they are positioned by God in order to give them the opportunity to seek him and to reach out for him and to find him. Paul's affirming that it is possible for people everywhere to discover, to tap into the spiritual truth about who God is. Now, I'm not saying what Paul's saying is that all people everywhere find God or that all people everywhere are saved or all people everywhere or anything like that come to the same understanding. I'm not saying any of those things. But what Paul is saying is that all people everywhere have the opportunity to seek and to reach and to make a genuine connection with who God is. And then he goes on to illustrate it in verse 28. He says, for in God, we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Paul quotes two Greek religious poets um, and cites them saying they've discovered some truth. The first one where it says, for in him we live and move and have our being, that was written by a poet named Epimenides about seven or eight hundred years before Paul was even alive. And Epimenides was writing a poem about Zeus and he says it's in Zeus that we live and move and have our being. Zeus is a real reality. He's what gives all of us Life. The second quote, where it says, we are his offspring, that's a quote from a poet named Aratus, uh, who lived on the island of Cilicia. He lived about 300 years before Paul. And this is the fuller version of what Paul is quoting. It's from a book called Phenomena. And this is what Aratus writes. Let us begin with Zeus, whom we mortals never leave unspoken. For every street, every marketplace is full of Zeus. Even the sea and the harbor are full of this deity. Everyone, everywhere, everyone is indebted to Zeus, for we are indeed his offspring. And Paul says, your poets have gotten it exactly right. They're writing about Zeus. They're not talking about the God of the Bible. But what they have discovered to be true about God is exactly true. That God is not far from any one of us. In him, we live and move and have our being. And we are all God's children. Paul says those things are true. So when people ask, are all religions the same? 
Part of my answer is, in as much as a religion is a human effort to discover and embody spiritual truth in the world, and in as much as every religious tradition has the ability and has actually in practice tapped into spiritual truth that is real, all religions really are the same. They're all connected and they're all on the same journey. And yet, that's not the total story. Because at the same time, as the parable of the elephant seems to imply that we're all connected and we're all striving after the same spiritual truth, at the same time, there are significant differences between the religious traditions. The the parable is written based on a couple of assumptions that aren't necessarily true, right? I mean, one assumption that the parable Uh, is built on is that every single blind person who comes in contact with the elephant only comes in contact with one small piece of the elephant and they all kind of come into contact with an equivalent chunk so to speak of the elephant but that isn't necessarily the way spiritual truth seeking works right what if we told the same parable but one blind man had touched the trunk And then the tusk, and then the ear, and the eye, and the face, and then the leg, and then the belly, and then the other leg, and then the tail of the elephant. That one blind person touched all of that, and the other blind person was holding on to one single hair at the very tip of the tail. Would we say that both of those people have accessed the elephant? Yes, we would. Would we say that they have an equally accurate conception of what this elephant is. No, they don't. One has a vastly superior conception of the truth of the elephant than the other. And that's worth naming. In fact, the the other thing that's true is that the parable is built on the assumption that everybody's touching the elephant, right? Like, what if one blind person is actually grabbing a tree branch and saying, oh, an elephant is like a tree branch. And the wise person says, no, you idiot, you're grabbing a tree branch. It's not even an elephant. You know, somebody it touches the table and say, oh, elephants are flat on top. No, pal, that's, that's actually not even an elephant. You're, you're talking about the, some other truth altogether. You're not talking about spiritual truth, right? That there are times when the answers are actually disagreeing among religious traditions, disagree with each other in a way that some have to be right and some have to be wrong. Um, Take the issue of divinity. Gather a representative from all the world religions in the room, talk major world religions, and just say, how many gods are there? Well, the Jew and the Muslim are together and they say, well, there's one God. And the Hindu says, no, you're crazy. There's millions of gods. And the Buddhist says, I don't know what any of you are talking about. There is no God. And the Christian says, well, yeah, there's kind of one God, but kind of exists eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a, sort of a trinity kind of a thing. I know it doesn't make sense, but, but like they all give radically different answers in ways that are actually incompatible with each other. And you have to do some work to try and discern which of those very various possibilities is actually spiritually true? Which is the truth? And which of those is touching a table or a tree branch or something else entirely? That there are, there are ways, in as much as religious traditions have a whole lot in common, there are ways where they are distinctly and irreconcilably different. Which is exactly, actually, what we expect coming out of this story of Paul, way back at the beginning in verse 18, it says this. 
a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? And others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Um, The Epicureans and the Stoics were the two most prominent philosophical schools in the Greek culture at Paul's time. The Epicureans believed, and they believed very different things about God. The Epicureans believed that the gods existed, that they created the world, but then they kind of retreated back to Mount Olympus and they don't really bother with humanity that much. They don't really care what's going on in the world and they don't really get all that involved. And so for an Epicurean, the gods exist, so let's go to the temples and worship them just to cover our basis. Um, they were more like C&E kind of Christians, you know, show up at Christmas and Easter, um, Never take it too seriously because at the end of the day, the gods don't care that much about what we do. So the Epicurean philosophy was eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Doesn't matter what you do. So just make the best of your life and get on with it. The Stoics had a completely different conception whatsoever. The Stoics said there is a divine life force. There are no personal gods, but there is a divine life force called the logos, the rationality of the universe that binds everything together. It's in us and it's in the rock and it's in the tree and it's in the street and it's in the plant and it's in the air and it's in the bird. and It's everywhere penetrating all of reality and the way to live life well is not, this has nothing to do with going to temples and worshiping, has everything to do with aligning your life with the logos of the universe with the rationality of life and what's interesting is if you read Paul's interactions with the Epicureans and the Stoics he both for both of the groups he both affirms the truthfulness of part of what they've said and critiques their beliefs to the Epicureans he says yeah there is a God who created the universe absolutely true but he isn't worshipped in temples and he's not far away in him we live and move and have our being and he does care what you do with your life in fact he's going to judge all of humanity based on what they did with their lives at the end of the at the end of human history. And to the Stoics, he says, you're right in saying that we're God's offspring and and in him we live and move and have our being and that he's not far from any one of us. But you're wrong in saying that he is not personal. He created the world. He launched this whole thing. He's going to bring this whole thing to a conclusion. And he showed up right in the middle in the form of Jesus who lived and died and was raised from the dead. In fact, this is the thing that Paul does that intrigues me the most. That in dialogue with people who have completely different belief systems than him, what he does is he engages with what they believe and then he brings the conversation to center on Jesus. Because he says, so remember, the whole point of this conversation was you worship a God you don't understand. I know him. I know who it is. His name is Jesus. And he has come to rescue all of humanity. And let me tell you about him. Jesus is the one who is the answer to the questions that we've been asking. Who am I? Well, I'm a person created in the image of God who is loved by God and with whom God wants to live in in relationship. Who God wants to work in me and through me in the world. What is the world? 
Well, the world is God's good creation, which he loves. And he has given humanity responsibility over the world to steward it in such a way that we fill the world with love. What is the problem? Well, the problem is sin. Sin is every time we behave unlovingly towards ourselves, each other, God, or the world. What's the solution of sin? Well, the solution is that Jesus came as God in human flesh and he lived in the world and he died on the cross and he was raised from the dead to defeat the power of sin, to bring forgiveness and change in my life so that I and we together in community could become the people God has created us to be. Jesus is the one who brings the whole story together. And to me, I think the way Paul approaches the conversation is a significant model for how we interact with each other in the ways that we believe different things and the way that we interact with other people who believe differently than us, people of different religious traditions and so on. That on the one hand, we do what Paul did and engage in honest, loving, humble dialogue. Right? I think our challenge is actually to enter into conversation. Paul went and reasoned with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks in the, ten, in the synagogue and then he went into the marketplace and he just talked with people about their beliefs, acknowledged and honored the truthfulness, the spiritual truth that other people have found. I think we need to enter into those conversations in the spirit of humility. Not going with, listen, you know, I'm the one who sees it all. I know the truth. I'm going to correct all your mistakes. I got to tell you where you're wrong because I've got it right and so on. That's the, one of the things that I don't love at all about the elephant parable is the arrogance of the person who tells it. Right? The whole parable is about how religious people are blind and stupid and they're stumbling around and they can't figure it out. And they get part of the truth, whatever. But let me explain to you what's really happening. I can see the whole thing. I got all the spiritual truth and I can help you understand all of it. Right? How arrogant do you have to be to believe that you've figured out everything about the elephant, everything about God, everything about transcendent reality, that you've figured out the whole truth and now you get to lecture everybody else about where they're wrong. No, we enter into the conversation in humility, asking what we can learn from somebody else's understanding of the truth. Right? Because if you're going in not to learn, but to lecture, then you're not really having a conversation. You're just mutually monologuing at each other. And that is not a conversation, which means you're not really having a relationship, which means you're not operating in the principle of love, which means you're doing the opposite of what Jesus would do. I think we engage in the spirit of honesty, humility, and loving dialogue with people where we talk about the similarities and differences in what we believe, but then we do what Paul does and bring the conversation to Jesus because at the end of the day, for those of us who put our faith in Jesus, Jesus Christ is the puzzle piece that sits in the middle of this whole human endeavor of trying to piece together what religious truth looks like. Jesus is the puzzle piece that sits in the middle that helps you understand where all the other pieces fit in helps you see which pieces actually aren't even from this puzzle and can be thrown away or need to be changed which pieces need to be moved Jesus is according to the Bible what God has said to the world that's why Jesus becomes the focal point of everything that we do in the church Jesus said that he is the way and the truth and the life 
He is the way that we understand the way a human life would go if it was lived in loving relationship with God and with the people around and with the entire world. Jesus is the way we understand what we could be like if we lived in relationship with God like Jesus did. Jesus said he's the truth. He is the truth about what God is like. Because he is God in human flesh come into the world. In fact, Jesus is the wise man in the parable. The only person who has ever seen the entire elephant. Because Jesus himself is the whole elephant. (laughs) Jesus is the only one of all the religious traditions who claim to be God coming into the world. To show us what the truth about what God is like. Jesus claimed to be the life. Instead of stumbling around trying to figure out where the elephant is, Jesus leads us right to the spiritual truth of the divine. Leads us right into the presence of God and shows us how to live in relationship with who God is. Because of Jesus, we're not stumbling around in the dark like blind people. The Bible says Jesus is the light of the world. He's the one that flicked the switch on. And now we can actually see spiritual truth for what it is. Jesus, we're not walking around hoping to one day happen upon an elephant. Jesus, by being God in human flesh, coming into the world, coming into our reality, brings the presence of God straight to us. Um, We don't have to try and intellectually figure out, wrap our minds around what God is really all about because the point of the whole exercise is not to wrap our minds around what God is about anyway. The point of the exercise is that God wants to live in loving relationship with us. And Jesus is the one who invites us in to loving relationship with God. And we don't have to try and figure out how to make that work on our own. I remember in university, a Muslim friend of mine named Seth said to me that one of the most frustrating things in his experience of being a Muslim was that you never know when you've done enough. Because of Jesus, you never have to ask the question of whether you've done enough because the whole thing is based on what Jesus has done, based on his life and his death and his resurrection through which God brings forgiveness and transformation and community and a world that is being filled with the life of God. The the thing that sets Christianity apart from all the other world religions is the beginning and the middle and the end of the whole deal is Jesus. So in everything that we do, in every conversation we have, in every way that we press in to discover the truth about what God is like, in every way that we grope around to feel the elephant, let's be groping around looking to Jesus to bring us to the place that he wants us to be. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I imagine that there are some Uh, folks in the room this morning who have sort of brushed aside any sort of serious spiritual endeavor by saying, well, all religions are basically the same. And if I just love people, you know, that's good for me. And I imagine, God, that there are folks at the other end of the spectrum who actually have serious problems with people from other religious traditions, whether Jews or Muslims Uh, or something else entirely, uh, but would actually feel antipathy, would 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 feel put off by other religious traditions. I imagine there are some uh, 
here who arrogantly believe that we've got spiritual truth figured out, I imagine that there's some who are completely lost and wonder whether it's possible to know anything about you at all. I pray that in and amidst all of us, you would be at work in every one of us, drawing us towards the person of Jesus. Would you help us see Jesus for who he is? Would you help us see him as the way our lives could be in relationship with you, the truth about who you are and the opportunity for a life lived um, according to spiritual truth in community, in the world? And would you uh, keep give us the courage and the persistence to press in to Jesus to discover the truth about who you are? Thank you that you have said that if we seek you and reach out for you, we can find you. May that be the experience you invite us into through Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.